Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. And we found over the years that we kept hearing the same stories, that women, particularly in male-dominated environments, were really struggling to get ahead and really struggling to find whether it was development opportunities or to be noticed or even to give them, you know, to have the confidence to take on that next position. In this special edition of the GRC Professional Podcast that has been done just in time for International Women's Day, I speak to Susie Finkelstein from Women in Leadership Australia, who talks a little bit about the work that the WLA does. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine and the GRC Professional Online. And with me, I have Susie Finkelstein from Women in Leadership Australia. Hi, Susie. How are you doing? I'm really well, Tom. Thank you for having me today. I'm really looking forward to a conversation with you. Excellent. So I guess we should really start with um, giving our listeners a sense of who you are. So who are you, Susie? (laughs) Well, this is my... I'm in my third career. So at the moment, I am um, the Director of Advocacy and Leadership at Women in Leadership Australia. My career started with education, and I was in the education sector until I had children and um, starting to look at next steps, which took me more to a community focus, and I worked in the not-for-profit space for a while. And then I uh, connected with the corporate world via that to try and create learning solutions. So it's always been about learning um, and sort of tracking children, young adults and adults, and then looking at what were the barriers. And that naturally led me to working in the space that I'm really passionate about, which is diversity. And that's how I landed at Women and Leadership Australia, because I found that even though I was working in sectors around disability, I was working in sectors around socioeconomic barriers, um, and then looking at challenges in corporate space, Mm -hmm. that the diversity, the gender diversity angle always came up. And, you know, women aren't a minority in the population like the other elements of diversity, but clearly we're still a minority in um, many organisations, particularly in the executive place. Right, right. And, and tell me a little bit about the work that you've done since you've been at the WLA. Well, I'm actually celebrating my 10th year of working with Women in Leadership Australia. Oh, I, uh, yeah, and we're celebrating our 15th year, um, so which is our big birthday year. Mm-hmm. And my role has been very much about being on the coalface and working with individuals and organisations to really build leadership capacity. So I have worked very closely one-on-one in executive coaching relationships and programs as well as facilitating we have development programs leadership development programs for all different tiers of experience from the aspiring leaders that are starting their career to also middle management and then also to the executive suite the advanced leadership program and we also run conferences and events where we get the thought leaders and speakers and women and men to really talk about the opportunities ahead, but also to spotlight female leadership and female talent so that mm-hmm. we can, you know, we often hear we can't, we can't be it if we can't see it. And so our, one of our goals is to 
really make the diverse leadership talent that we have in our communities more visible. Okay, excellent. And so my role is is to be involved in those programs. Now I'm in more of an executive space. I did leave for a little while and I came back. (laughs) Um, It's actually to oversee the content and to advocate for change and looking at strategically, you know, where is going to be the best um, development opportunities for us to work with, both in organisations but also publicly, and particularly through um, member associations and networks to really understand what the challenges are. Mm-hmm. Right, excellent. I guess I'm interested to also know a little bit more about maybe some specific initiatives that you've probably worked on, um, just to give our listeners a bit of an idea. Yes, yeah, so... Um, we actually had a social change campaign last year called 100 Days for Change mm-hmm. and we partnered with Tracy Spicer, who I'm sure many of your listeners are very familiar with, with the amazing work that she's done um, supporting the Australian version of Me Too and particularly in the media industry. Mm-hmm. But she came on board because she felt that the 100 Days for Change was a very positive initiative and we could start start mobilising some positive energy about what we can do. So the idea was that individuals and organisations identified um, one initiative that they could do to create gender equity, so whether in their community, in their organisation, in their team, and we asked the pledges and then spotlighted some, um, or showcased some best practice so that we can start seeing what is working and organisations and individuals are really welcoming this as an opportunity to look at, okay, it's great to hear, you know, I'm, I've just implemented a flexibility policy, how is how is another organisation in a very different sector, mm-hmm. how are they rolling it out? And, um, and it's been really interesting being able to look at the sort of um, uh, initiatives that organisations and individuals, you know, some from individuals would to be about, you know, to talk to their sons and daughters yeah. about the challenges more. Some of them were about actually challenging the bias that they saw around them in recruitment decisions. Some of them was about, um, you know, saying yes to sponsoring a woman or mentoring. Um, some of them were actually saying that they would say yes more and say no less. And others were flipping it over and then saying, well, no, actually, I want to say no more and say yes to the, to the opportunities that are more meaningful to me. And so it was a great, we, we developed a community um, that really um, had a significant impact. You know, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people around Australia that were impacted by the initiatives that individuals and organisations were making. So we're very proud of that 100 Days for Change initiative last year. Great, that's really good. And I'm also aware that you guys have special funding programs. Could you tell me a bit about those programs? So when we started um, 15 years ago, we're looking at where is the need and where's the opportunity for us to support um, development, where it's going to make the most impact. And we found over the years that we kept hearing the same stories, that women, particularly in male-dominated environments, were really struggling to get ahead and really struggling to find whether it was development opportunities or to be noticed 
or even to give them, you know, to have the confidence to take on that next position. And, you know, research has informed us that the network is really important. And what we've noticed in our programs, the breadth of sectors represented in the room. So we'll have women that are coming from, you know, mining. We'll have an engineer sitting next to a surgeon, sitting next to a lawyer, sitting next to an HR um, director. And they have conversations about, you know, the challenges and the opportunities of connection. And we found that there were some sectors that weren't being equally represented. So we have now a scholarship committee and there's a pool of funding that we allocate for different um, segments so that at different times it might be women in engineering or it might be um, horticulture actually just... um, been working with them recently, um, just speaking to them in economics at the moment as well. So actually to look at if we can provide some funding support and sometimes um, organisations or associations match that as well, then we can have some like-minded people in the room as well as coming you know, from other diverse sectors. They're able to share the learning but also go back to their sector, not just alone, but there can be a couple that are starting to lead the way with strategies and tools that they're learning. Right. And for those who are listening, um, what are some of the best ways for them to get access to that funding? Uh, do they go to the website? Do they call someone there? Yes, absolutely. Um, if you go to our website, we um, have a, a team of... Uh, client solution um, support mm-hmm. so um, and I think that's really important to consider as well that we have because we have a suite of programs different funding at different times are allocated to certain programs as well mm-hmm. um, and we want to make sure that uh, you know that it's not just a tick the box that we get people in the door we go through quite a process talking through the current needs, aspirations, you know, what you're hoping to gain from a program and then to create a solution of which program would be best. So wla.edu.au, if you go there um, directly to our website and you'll see that we've got our events and we've also got our programs. And excellent. So, of course, it's some major work that you've been doing and I imagine that you've definitely experienced at some point some kind of pushback and some challenges. What are some of the big challenges that you've faced? It's very interesting because there's been ways. Um, at one point we were hearing from our participants that even though their organisation was supporting them to go, there was quite a bit of negative chat about oh, why are you going to a women's programme? You know, we don't have men's programs. Does that mean it's sort of like trying to fix women? We do a lot of work with um, author and journalist and advocate Catherine Fox. And she wrote this groundbreaking book called um, Stop Fixing Women. And we educate our community that our programs aren't about fixing women. It's about creating a, a buoyant network but it's also about leadership tools and capacity. So some of the pushback and barriers have been, I don't want to be going to a a women-only program because it makes me look vulnerable or it makes me look like I need help. 
And what we found from our alumni, so many women have gained, you know, the next step because of the confidence and the network and the strategies of, you know, creating some space for their own leadership development. Mm. And we often hear that it's, you know, it's not about women. It's actually about, you know, all women are different. So we're not talking about the them and us. It's actually about inclusive thinking. So there will be that pushback. And sometimes that comes from women as well, that they don't see that there's a problem because, you know, they've got to a certain level. But then we start asking them to look around. Have other women got the same opportunity? Are we opening the doors for other women? And that's when we start noticing that, you know, there is more work to be done. Yes, definitely. But of course, there have obviously been successes, I would imagine. Could you tell me a bit about those? Absolutely. Um, recently, we were running an advanced leadership program and um, we had, um, you know, we, we recruit women that are in the advanced leadership program that are very much looking for the next step in the C-suite. And they're either in the executive space and wanting to step up even more or they're wanting to get into that executive space. And we had a woman come to the program and within uh, the first two months, she said, I've just actually found that my role's been made redundant and I, um, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing. I know that this program's important to keep me thinking and growing that. And we encouraged her to reach out to the network from the other participants. And by the next time she came to a workshop, and we run webinars as well, so it's blended learning, she was actually able to share with us that through the network, somebody had introduced her to somebody else who looked at a LinkedIn profile and she got a call from the minister and she has a very high standing um, role now as a commissioner. And we actually looked at how she got there. I'm actually going to sort of do a bit of a case study as well. It's looking at the opportunity for her to take some time in the program to do a skills audit, to be able to have those interviews very informed about what she could offer, mm. and also having a new and refreshed look about you know about her leadership identity, her presence, how she presented and articulated herself. And we hear these stories a lot. Not that all women come to our program and then end up finding a new role, yeah. but it's about sustainability in the role as well and creating more influence and presence within their teams and that's a real standout all right well excellent well sort of moving on to the advice segment we always like to get um our interviewees to give a bit of advice to our listeners so for those um listening who are leaders themselves or on that leadership track if they're not leaders as yet do you have any advice yes i think the first thing is to really take some time out to, you know, we talk about there's a, a, a great instrument that comes from Harvard University called, it's very simple, an analogy about the balcony and dance floor. You know, the dance floor, we're so busy. We only see the people in our little sphere and we can get very consumed by those immediately around us. Mm. But we encourage people to get on the balcony and have a broader view of how they're going. Are they getting feedback? Are they checking in with themselves of what satisfies them, you know, what energises them? What are, what, are, what, what, are, what are the things that happen on a good day as well? So to actually inform themselves about um, where they're at and then start looking proactively. 
about what could the next step look like and to make it more satisfying and sustainable of where they are and even to move to that next step of flourishing in a role, what what's needed, you know, whether it's checking in with a, a colleague, getting some development work, it might be technical skills, it might be, you know, a leadership framework, it might be partnering with someone to have some coaching, it might be about speaking to other people out of the sector or out of the organisation to get some ideas about, you know, how they could transfer their skills. So I suppose the number one um, tip is to take time out to do a little bit of reflective practice. And I think that's stand out. If we can make that a routine practice moving forward, that we know that we can be our best at work as well, as long as we're using that positive frame and not the stick. We should have done this and I could have done that. It's actually, what are you, are you doing well? Mm. Okay, excellent. And by the time our listeners listen to this podcast, it will already be International Women's Day. So I was just curious, did you have any activities planned around this day? Yeah, International Women's Day, I'm, um, we actually had some a work afternoon tea. We're going to be celebrating our 15 years. But we're also going to, I'm also hosting a luncheon for the Victorian Principals Association and um, actually looking at, um, and Liz Ellis is also coming to speak and we're going to be highlighting the importance of, of well-being as well. Okay. Um, this year, the International Women's Day um, theme is balance for better. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great to really think about this whole idea of balance. What does it look like for ourselves? And what do we need to focus on to tip it in the right direction? All right. Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Susie. Thank you for listening to the GRC Professional Podcast. This podcast was produced by the GRC Institute, and the original music was written by Rob Neary.